hundreds of thousands of students in the Denver area not in school today. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Ryan Ferran, episode number 31, disturbing news out of Colorado. Take a listen to CBS News this morning. There's no school today in much of the Denver area, while police search for a young woman considered to be armed and extremely dangerous, who's made what's called a credible threat. At least 18 districts closed hundreds of schools last night and told more than 500,000 students to stay home just a few days before the anniversary of the Columbine High School shootings. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. And here to talk about this issue today and this week happening in Colorado, so sad. Rick Kaufman is joining us. He is the Executive Director of Community Relations and Emergency Management at Bloomington Public Schools in Minnesota. And Rick, we just listened to the news clip about 18 school district closed schools today, impacting more than 500,000 students. A woman made credible threats to Denver area schools and she was kind of infatuated with the Columbine tragedy and this weekend happens to mark the 20-year anniversary of Columbine so this is just a mess for everyone in that area and you were there 20 years ago working for the communications team in that school district for Columbine and I was actually just watching a news piece you did with a local TV station in Minnesota and you actually were so involved you were helping some of the wounded that day on campus um, what has the reaction been from people that were there in the Colorado community? I'm sure you still talk to people there. You're headed there this weekend. What's the reaction been to this news about this threat and this whole situation? Well, it's really demoralizing. It's uh, very impactful. From uh, uh, There's no good side or upside to this other than that it did come to a fairly quick resolution today. And uh, I think everyone is breathing a huge sigh of relief and uh, families and students and staff members can get back to uh, what their normal life is tomorrow. But, um, you know, these kinds of things, unfortunately, they happen probably more frequently as we get close to spring and and certainly these anniversary dates with this week, Virginia Tech, um, uh, Oklahoma City bombing and and the Columbine tragedy. Um, It it really has a tendency to um, these fringe individuals who um, idolize or are infatuated with these high-profile uh, incidents, it's a way for them to um, act out um, in lots of different ways. And then this, this one was very credible. You had a person that uh, was reported to have uh, flown out to Colorado, to Denver, and bought purchased a shotgun and ammunition and made some form of uh, credible threat to a number of schools, and including Columbine. So uh, what does it do to the community and, and up and down the front range? Uh, I think it puts everybody on, on pins and needles and and uh, for the Columbine families and uh, the survivors, it's really a re-victimization, re-traumatization of what they've experienced, what they went through uh, nearly 20 years ago. And uh, so it's not good. It's not good for to the, the community. It's not good for... Um, you know the the whole mental health piece, and you got to remember that the survivors from 20 years ago, they're parents of little kids, and uh, so just imagine what they're feeling and thinking um, as they were preparing to send their kids to school yesterday and and today, for that matter, before they were notified that schools would be closed. 
the anxiety and the thoughts, the memories and all that that these families that you just talked about must be going through are just, it's just horrific to think about that this woman put them back in that situation. All of us on a national and international scale, these incidents happened and you know, we go on with our lives that as after every tragedy people do, but for the people in Colorado, for you, for those that lived at these families, these victims, I mean, to, to have to go through this again is just, uh, it's unbearable and it's just sickening to see. I actually saw the news from following your Twitter. I just, and I followed on some news articles and hearing some of the parents who one of their kids survived and one of them passed away and just talking about, yeah, it's 20 years later, my life is still miserable. Um, it's terrible. Yeah, it, it, it is, and it's sad because when you think about it, this individual, um, it, you know, put an entire area, as you said, 500,000 students, and and uh, you know, probably about a couple thousand, three thousand uh, staff members, school district, if not more, employees whose lives were upended for the better part of uh, the last 24 hours. Um, that's just the things that you can quantify. What you can't quantify is really the impact mentally and emotionally on uh, everybody that's affected by this. And, and so I have a son that lives out there. My daughter-in-law is a teacher in one of the school districts that was closed today. And um, I've talked to them last night. I talked to them again, to, again today. And it's uh, very unnerving. And they happen to live uh, just a, a couple miles from Columbine High School. And uh, so, you know, it touches people in very different ways, but uh, none of it, none of it is, is good. Again, I think, uh, I think the blessing in all this is that um, it is over and uh, that threat is, uh, no longer exists, um, but we're, I, I can't imagine anyone is, is walking around feeling like uh, uh, that, that there's not going to be another threat or there's not going to, this is the last of those kinds of incidents because I just don't believe we live in a world that we can we can uh, surely say that's the case or feel that way. And for those who are not following as closely as us, and especially you, so the woman we're talking about, she was found dead, self-inflicted. She killed herself uh, today. I'm not sure exactly what led to that, but so that's why you know you're alluding to, and the fact that the threat is um, not there with this particular woman, which is great. Um, so take us through, Rick. The I know you've been following this, you know, very closely. Uh, through the process, through what the schools went through yesterday, they were kind of notified there's a threat, and then this is while kids are at school, school is in session, and they had kind of the uh, the process they went through, and then they canceled school. What what can you shed about that process for all the schools out there? Yeah, I mean, what I can tell you is, I mean, from generally speaking, in these kinds of situations, it was a uh, my understanding it was the Miami-based FBI. The woman was from South Florida, the Miami area. She's an 18-year-old female that was actually attending school in uh, uh, in I believe it's Sunshine, Florida. The Miami FBI alerted um, on Monday evening the Denver FBI offices based on the fact that the young woman's parents had notified that they had, she was missing. Um, from that, it was learned that she uh, was in the Denver area. She was known to have a, a strong infatuation with the Columbine killings. Um, guessing, and we'll learn more obviously in the days ahead, that it's probably based on either uh, you know social media accounts or, or websites that uh, she visited and or commented on or, or wrote about. Um, it is believed based on uh, early investigation that she purchased a, a shotgun and a pump action shotgun as it was and to 
have uh, made some form of credible threats, and I say that multiple because uh, law enforcement was reporting that it was not necessarily directed at any one school, um, but that it, it was received at multiple sites. And I think given the integrity of the investigation, we probably won't hear a lot of, uh, of that in the, in the public realm so that we don't uh, create this, um, you know, someone else wanting to do something similar and because to get that kind of reaction. Um, the basis of the credible threat led to yesterday the schools uh, all going into what uh, their response protocol is. For many of them, it's a, a lockout. It uh, might be different terminology at other schools. So, in essence, the threat existed outside the school, um, and because without the specificity, they were going to try to run the school as as much as they could, but stepped up security measures. Last night, um, I believe the superintendents of those school districts and uh, working with uh, Denver FBI and their local law enforcement agencies and security folks uh, had deep conversations about what uh, today was going to look like and the potential um, of impact. And I believe they probably, based on what I, information that I got from my own family members, that um, parents were likely going to keep their kids at home today. So it might have been a very uh, limited number of uh, students, and I think staff members. So I think the wise decision was made out of the abundance of uh, caution for school districts to uh, cancel classes today until they, uh, more information could be learned and, and, frankly, where this individual was located because there were some sightings over yesterday, uh, maybe even into last night, but as of uh, uh, they were still looking for her early today until ultimately um, it resolved itself when um, I think police were closing, law enforcement officers were closing in on her location when uh, she decided to uh, take her life by suicide. So. Um, again, I think the, the school districts did a, a great job of communicating and, and working together and uh, um, keeping kids and staff safe. And, and um, now the hard part um, is over, um, uh, but it's, uh, it, it's over from the standpoint of that uh, the incident is, is over. But um, they're going to deal with some fallout this week, yet there's still uh, this time of year, especially in the Colorado area, and the number of school shootings that they've had, and it's not Columbine is a, not the only one, it just has everybody probably on high alert, and, and then as you said earlier, Ryan, the anxiety people are probably feeling is certainly ramped up. It's just, yeah, it's a terrible situation all the way around, and for these folks, I mean, you can't prepare for something like this. You, you have to weigh all these different factors of closing down schools, then kids not having a place to go to, and how credible is the threat, and I just feel for all those superintendents, educators, law enforcement having to make these decisions and work through this as, you know, you can prepare all you want, and even if you go through your protocols um, perfectly, you're always going to have negative reactions. You always find somebody talking to a media camera that says, I didn't know what was happening, and, you know, why are they doing this? So it's just one of those tough decisions, but you need strong leaders to let's make a decision, stick with it, and do what's best for the kids and the family. So I just appreciate and somewhat understand what they're going through as a decision process uh, that they have to go through. It's just uh, remarkable. Uh, if you ever sat in some of those meetings, it, it is uh, unbelievable. It reminds me of a couple of years ago here, Rick, the whole we were threats from kind of international threats in school districts, LA Unified closed school for the whole day and districts everywhere were figuring out what to do and how credible and it's just it's just an absolute mess for people. Anyway, my question, Rick, one of them is there's this thought and this narrative and I sort of tend to agree with it. I'm also a former journalist so I somewhat understand their perspective as well. The publicizing of the names of these people 
that murder, that do these shootings. Um, there's the thought that it leads to people like this woman who I haven't said her name. I don't think you have either. Um, that, you know, it's been reported that she had an infatuation with Columbine and um, Lord knows what she was following and what what drew her to it. But do you think media should be publicizing these names? And what is your thought kind of on that aspect of sometimes it, does it encourage copycats and does it, you know, that sort of thing? What do you think about that? You know, it is, it's a double-edged sword, I think, from a lot of different perspectives, but the two primary ones is, on the one hand, you need to get word out there so that uh, that, that people are eyes and ears, that they're looking out for. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, again, you've got a person that uh, was identified and in the area and uh, is, is um, alleged to, but most likely made these credible threats. So um, the fact that media is aware of this and it's being broadcast is a good thing. Mm -hmm. The downside to um, identifying the person by name, um, I know they showed pictures, it does create a sense of copycat or um, idolization of others. There are a lot of dark websites out there that, um, whether it's just on the Columbine killings or these mass casualty incidents, that it, it, it just fuels and feeds these individuals that um, are dealing in this or are communicating or, or interacting in this. It's, it's rare in many cases to get to where they, they that uh, Columbine and the community is, is dealing with today because you had an, an actual credible threat than a person that was identified. Mm -hmm. um, but I saw um, a, a chatter today um, where individuals were making comments, whether it was in jest or or not, is comments like uh, to the effect of, you know, you're taking away my thunder. Speaking of the of the individual, um, that uh, now again, that person could have been just messing around, but you have to take that seriously. That this individual that put something like that is, what does it mean by you take away my thunder? Are you thinking of planning uh, something worse? And then there's also those individuals that think it's a kind of a joke, and hey, let's that disrupted school for a day and a half. Um, let's see what kind of rise we can get out of it because they have no purpose um, to be in school. They don't want to be in school. So uh, glorifying, in some cases, the, the the repetitive broadcasting of this over and over and over. I mean, CNN dedicated um, a long time today, and this, as I'm sure the other. Uh, national and probably local media did as well, and uh, so it, it it is a very very tough question because I, you've got people that, got, that uh, have an insatiable desire to want to know what's going on and need to know what's going on for their safety and the well-being of their their family members, but it is does have an impact on the psyche and the emotional and mental stability and instability of people. Yeah, you make a great point too, Rick, especially with today's issue in Colorado the past couple of days, this woman, she was out there, they, nobody, they knew who she was, but they didn't know where she was, so like, let's put her out there so people can help us find her, which is a good thing, but then on the flip side, as you mentioned, now her name is out there and infamy and uh, <clears throat> all that copycat stuff, which is just disturbing. Um, I saw one of your tweets too that was interesting, so from a school perspective, you were talking about some of the language in that uh, area of Colorado, they have they, what they call a lockout, um, as opposed to a lockdown. And you made a good point about you know just the clarity of language and the importance of that. 
what did you mean kind of by that and uh, what can people learn from that? It's important that each school has a, re a standard response protocol that's not based on code colors or code names. It truly is based on um, an action that we want the persons to do, our students and staff to react to. Based on brain research, um, the brain is going to identify the, 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 the word or the action step that you're requesting or requiring or uh, through drills and training you want that response and so that triggers the defense mechanism to for the person to respond and as I've often talked about um, that's why training and drills are so important because it creates the cultural condition to know what to do in a real world situation. Um, so the comment I was making is that uh, lockout can and often is confused with lockdown and when we create that ambiguity with words like uh, that are closely aligned then what is it that uh, the the individuals are going to do um, there's other there's been uh, research and and uh, we've done um, some um, simulated responses to those kinds of words and we find that there is that ambiguity there's a confusion and confusion and ambiguity creates a delay in response and so I think it's important that school districts um, design and develop standard response protocols that work for each of their school districts and um, I know that there's a great organization out there called I Love You Guys started by the parents of a young girl who was killed at Platte Canyon High School in 2006 in Bailey, Colorado, and uh, which impacted us because Bailey's not too that far away from Littleton. Um, and uh, John Michael Keyes and his wife have done a great job of training and, and bringing attention to these standard response protocols. Um, but I believe in some cases use of some of that terminology is confusing. I also believe that school districts that just take a uh, response based on what everyone else is doing may not be doing service to their school system and with respect to what are the values and what works. For anyone to go into a school district and say you need to say these are your response protocols without first knowing what have they used in the past and why would you change if that's been the culture, particularly the culture with respect to a person, uh, staff members and students that have learned the standard response protocol. I'm trying to simplify it frankly so when you have an incident that you're going to respond in the same manner, in the same way each and every time depending on the situation. And uh, so that was really my point with that, we get kind of hung up on on uh, all these different tangents, but um, there is a there is a some credibility to, based on research that we need to give credence to understanding how the brain works in these situations where your anxiety, your fear quotient increases exponentially, and therefore your uh, manual dexterity and your cognitive abilities slow down, and so it's not easy to recall these things unless you um, are, you know, schools are doing that, those drills and with, with, uh, with fidelity so that staff and students know that it is something to be taken seriously. Rick, what do you remember from 20 years ago that morning when you were first there on campus? What was that like? And just to give people an insight of, of exactly what you went through and people 20 years ago that scene and what they're still dealing with 20 years later, probably every day when they wake up and all throughout the day. Yeah, I mean, it was very surreal. Um, it, it took a bit to for your conscious uh, uh, brain to, to, to um, really uh, tell you or I guess reveal to you that this was real. This was not 
this was not a senior prank. This was, um, there was bad things happening in that school. Um, my background in my previous work and in uh, schools, but prior to that in emergency management as a uh, paramedic student working in an ambulance service for a number of years. Um, uh, so when I, I came on the scene, it was really truly offering triage and first aid and critical care to students that had been uh, shot and either had made it out of the building or were being dragged out of the building and getting them to rescue vehicles and ambulances. And so um, I was laser focused on that. That's what my training was. And so it was some period of time before I kicked into my role that I was hired for at Jeffco Public Schools and, and ultimately um, for, for helping the school through that, through that crisis. But um, that's what I remember. And, uh, and, and then at some point transferring over um, to, to my responsibilities as the Executive Director of uh, Community Engagement and Community Relations and then ultimately uh, being handed the responsibility to co-lead the crisis response team that managed all of the communications, media relations, uh, memorial events, and other events that were tied to the tragedy. 20 years later, Rick, I mean, there were school shootings and school massacres before Columbine, but I think people remember this as the big first one that was publicized, that they knew that there was something like this that could happen. How much progress have we made? How safer are schools? And could this ever be totally preventable? Um, that's a, that's a $60,000 question, and it's a great question whether it can be preventable. I think we've got a lot of work to do in that area. How, do I believe schools are safe to t safer today? I, I truly do believe that because they have made significant changes to address um, the needs associated with making sure our schools are uh, target-hardened in some cases and creating barriers and the ability to limit access to our schools, uh, the free access, if you will, and uh, a lot of different pieces that went into that. Millions and millions of dollars have been spent by schools on that, but I think um, the area that we need to um, re-engage and refocus on is really on the front end, the prevention and intervention mitigation efforts that identify students um, that, uh, that we can intervene, um, we can get them the resources and the help so that they don't continue down this path of wanting to harm themselves or unfortunately others as we've seen. You know, schools are still a very, very safe place for kids to be. In some cases, um, it's safer than walking to and from school. It's uh, safer in some cases than their own communities. And so we can't discount that, and we can't discount the fact that uh, we have done a lot in terms of that training and the, and the drills and the response. And I think as professionals, you and I, Ryan, have learned a lot and have adapted and changed over the last 15, 20 years as well. That have to continue, but I believe we need to spend more energies, more money, and more time in understanding what disenfranchises, disengages students, and why they're taking this path, and, and that addresses all pieces of that, the mental health aspects, the uh, societal issues that are driving uh, individuals, and, and, and the lack of care and attention to the mental health issues that our students are dealing with, and frankly, adults for that matter. 
I think you're right too, and I've seen the shift out here. I'm sure you've seen it in Minnesota. We've went from probably five, ten years ago to getting police on campus, build gates, lock everything down, secure it to what you said, prevention, intervention, mental, mental health, um, providing that emotional wellness. So we're seeing that shift from, you know, you can build all the walls you want around your campuses and have police officers there that doesn't prevent tragedies. We see it with police on uh, police officers on campuses. They're still targets. Things are still happening. So I, I've seen that shift where we're going more towards the mental health and hopefully that will help children and adults alike not want to do some these terrible crimes and tragedies. Um, what can people do? What can schools do? What can parents do? to address some of that emotional wellness that you're talking about that I do see is a great focus of our schools in America now? I think the conversations, we need to continue to have those conversations in our communities and at the school level, at school board meetings, and there's some great organizations out there that have uh, have been really started by uh, parents of victims at Sandy Hook and, and Parkland, Florida, and others that have turned their grief and their sadness into something of value. I think of Michelle Gay, whose daughter was killed at Sandy Hook uh, Elementary School, and uh, her organization, along with another parent uh, of a child victim, uh, called Safe and Sound Schools. And that movement addresses a lots of different areas. And, and I know Michelle talks about uh, we need to have those conversations, and, and parents are the catalyst uh, for that. So. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of that gets drowned out by uh, we get into these debates about gun control, and um, it, so it drowns out a lot of voices. And I saw that again today. It's just um, people want to use these incidents as a, a platform to debate what we should and should not do. And I think that's the wrong conversation, even though I saw, certainly can weigh in on that area as well. I don't think it makes sense to, when you have uh you have acts of violence on school property to be putting more guns on school property, whether that's with uh, armed law enforcement uh, officials or arming uh, teachers and staff members. There's just not enough evidence to, to show that any of that has been effective or, or substantial in reducing and or preventing these kinds of incidents from happening. In fact, I think more and more research is starting to show that target hardening of schools and the, uh, the other mitigation attempts uh, like security cameras and arming individuals is doing more damage with respect to students' fears and abilities to uh, learn and at levels that are expected of their age uh, levels because of the fear when they're coming to school and being in school. Um, this is going to be a very tough week for those school districts that were closed today and dealt with this yesterday with the with a day long or or lockout um, because now you've got two days to uh, before the weekend and so it's not going to be a normal school day tomorrow. There's still going to be some residuals uh, emotionally and, and mentally with folks to deal with this and from all age levels up and down the spectrum. So um, it, it's uh, it, it's unfortunate. But I think to get back to your original question, we gotta keep the conversations going. We've got to lobby our legislators at the state, local and state levels, and concentrate the resources on where we know they will best be served. And, and, and honestly, Ryan, it, when, when we put a dollar on the front end, we save hundreds on the whole response and recovery pieces because uh, if we can prevent it from happening, 
then we don't destroy schools and communities Mm -hmm. and the lifelong impact that has on individuals and families. Well said. And what a lot of people, Rick, outside of education don't understand is what you're alluding to and talking about is, you know, you buy these surveillance cameras, you put in the locks, you buy these buzzing systems for the gates, and you do all these things. And, well, that takes away from buying, spending money on counselors and emotional support. So you can only spend a dollar once, and education in this country is poorly underfunded. So it is not as easy as you have all these armchair quarterbacks, well, just do this, just do that. And when you're actually in it, you have to budget and do these things and figure out, you know, at the heart of the matter, what's best for kids. It's a very complicated equation that nobody has really perfected yet. And like you said, we got to still keep having these conversations and talk about best practices and what's what's best for our community. So it is a complicated one. Before we wrap up, Rick, um, I just wanted to have you on just because if anyone knows this issue, uh, it is you. And I know you're heading back to Colorado this weekend to be with people back there and for the 20th anniversary of Columbine. What is that going to be like for you and what will you be doing there? Um, I'm, I'm going to be attending a number of different uh, public and private events. Uh, it's a chance to reconnect with uh, students and staff members, um, Some, hopefully some of members of my team. Um, it's been a long time, 20 years, although it seems like uh, at times yesterday and other times it seems so far away. Um, I think it's all part of the healing process. I think it's, a, it's an opportunity to continue to process and uh, connect with those folks that uh, uh, meant a lot and uh, and did a lot, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing some of the survivors that I haven't seen in 20 years, including a student that I was able to help that uh, that survived. I hope a couple of the students that I helped uh, to get to rescue vehicles and ambulances that I can uh, connect with, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, just to uh, thank them for everything they've done in the last 20 years to have their voices heard about uh, survivorship, and I think that's what gives all of us hope. And uh, they never asked for they never asked to join this this club. Nobody ever wants to be a part of. Um, but forces as they were, they were they they are. And what have they done? And those are the stories that I'd love to continue to share with folks. The resiliency and the hope that they bring to others that um, uh, are burdened with uh, violence and what it does to them or broken families. So. It's going to be difficult emotionally. Um, uh, the, the fact that I have uh, my my son and his wife and my new grandson out there will certainly be um, a, a wonderful opportunity to connect with them and and, and really see the, the beauty uh, of life in that way as well. Rick, what is it like, real quick, I mean, having impact and helping save some of these kids' life when you're there as a first responder that day in Columbine? How do you through that chaos and everything's happening so fast, how do you make those connections of, oh, this kid realizes that you may have helped him get into an ambulance and how are you able to get in touch and how do you keep those connections over the year and how are those made when you're going through such a tragedy and so much chaos is ensuing? Well, never, I'll never forget the, their faces. I'll never forget their names. Um, that's for certain. And, and um, one of the individuals... Um, uh, her name is Casey Rugsager Johnson. That's her married name. Uh, Casey is a mother of four children, a uh, married mother of four children. And uh, Casey recently wrote a book called Over My Shoulder. Casey was one of the individuals that uh, was able to uh, uh, help in the triage area to get her to an ambulance. She had taken a direct uh, shotgun blast to her shoulder. 
destroyed her shoulder and, and uh, a good portion of her hand that's been rebuilt based uh, um, through, through donors. Um, and she has an incredible story to tell. And I connect with her a couple weeks ago for the first time in almost 20 years and uh, told her that she was one of the persons that I was able to get to safety. And um, so we're looking forward to seeing each other. And um, I, I hope, uh, I really hope that uh, uh, it, it's going to be healing uh, for both of us. And, um, and just the connection, I think, Ryan, more than anything, will, will um, it, it'll mean a lot to me. Well, good for you, Rick. That is amazing that you did that 20 years ago and you're still advocating for school safety and getting the word out about how to help educators, communicators to help students and to be safe, to educate and go on to live amazing lives. As a storyteller myself, glad to have a small part in this and I hope the media is out in full force this weekend and telling the positive stories of survivors and educators and what public education and folks are doing to you know, make this world better, as you know, cliche as that sounds, a lot of people are doing a lot of amazing things, because we think of these tragedies, we think of the bad, the evil, but there is that positive, there is that silver lining, folks like you and the survivors and people back in Colorado are doing, so my best to everyone there, appreciate you stopping on, I would recommend fully people follow you on LinkedIn and on Twitter for more information, insights and resources, RJ Kaufman on Twitter, and obviously Rick Kaufman on LinkedIn as well. Amazing follow. Rick, thank you so much. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you continuing to share the stories and allowing us to keep the promise that we made to the victims' families that uh, if we could save lives, then their children's uh, loss of their lives is not in vain, and, and I think it gives hope to others that continue to survive. So it, we need those storytellers like you to keep doing that. So I do appreciate your time and, and what you do um, in your community as well as sharing it uh, uh, in a much broader audience through your podcast. So thank you so much, and keep the faith. Rick, great work. Thank you, and we will chat soon, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye-bye. Rick Kaufman there saw the news about this and just had to have him on the podcast. He was there. He has such good insights about what happened, what schools can do to effectively communicate safety protocols. Again, follow him, LinkedIn, Twitter. I did podcast episode number 24, all about crisis communications. We spent even more time, about an hour, talking about diving into situations. How can schools communicate? What can we do as educators? So a great resource there on this podcast, iTunes, Podbean, wherever you may be listening. Uh, it's episode number 24. Um, I highly recommend it. Rick just has such good insights. Good guy. Um, always willing to share for people. I just saw that he tweeted about this today, and uh, it's such, a, such an important topic. We have made, I think, great strides in school safety, but these things are still happening. Kids are still scared. People are still being injured, hurt, and killed, and so we still have work to do. So I really appreciate Rick and, the, and everything he's doing. Amazing he's going back to Colorado to help heal, talk to some of the victims and people he worked with and was able to help and then share those positive stories because that's what education and um, you know help spreading positive news these days is absolutely needed and a great thing so hope you enjoyed that I know I did every time I talk to Rick I just learn more and I appreciate the good things in life and the good people that are doing amazing work so hope you enjoyed it we will talk soon we have many more podcasts that you can listen to going back and we'll have more coming forward 
You can find me on Twitter, Ryan P. Ferran, and be happy to chat with you about anything to help advocate for education. Thanks, everyone. We will talk to you soon.